busy with a sermon series on the seven churches of Revelation? Yes? Can you remember something about that? All right, so the purpose of this sermon series, let me just maybe uh, clarify that for the visitors, seven churches in Revelations, chapter two, you'll find the seven churches. And so the purpose is twofold. One, we read in Revelations 1 verse 1, where it says, and this is a revelation of Jesus Christ that was given to John to write about And so the whole book of Revelation is a revelation of Jesus to his church. And so the second thing that we need to understand about just this sermon series is to clarify what is the church? What is the church? And so many a times I will get involved in conversations where people will say the following, you know, I got hurt in church and the church. And so by making that comment, however your feelings may be true, you are distancing yourself from something that you refer to as an institute, a building, the church. And so in this book, we need to understand that the church is not an institution. It is not a club. It's not a building. We are the church. When we walk out of this building and we go and stand where the cars are parked, we are still the church. And so when you say that I got hurt, you got hurt by somebody doing something that happens to be with you in church. But if I'm a believer of Jesus Christ, I'm added into family like my son was added to our family. And therefore, I might hurt him. I have definitely hurt my two daughters and they will go like this at this moment. And they have forgiven me. But nothing will change the fact that they are part of family. Is my family there now? Yes. We see my little champ. He loves the blue bulls. I'm still praying for him. All right, so hopefully you've picked up, I'm from Stellenbosch. Yes, don't crucify me for that. All right, so let's get back. The church, we are the church. We are the church. And so maybe you've gotten hurt, but it's not an institution. And so when we read and we study these letters, what we need to understand, these seven churches Yes, represent the churches of that time, and Jesus is revealing himself to the churches, but not just for that time. This is a prophetic foresight for the church, then past, current, present, and future. And so whatever Jesus is revealing to them as a church, he's revealing to us today. Similarly, he's also revealing to us as individuals something through the Scripture. And so in week one in Ephesus, we, uh, we studied it and we learned that they were so fixated about the doctrine, doing things right, that they forgot about love. And so in Ephesus, the application to the church is remember love and devotion to me. It's not just sound doctrine. And then Smyrna, um, it was a call to endure the persecution that they just went through. Pergamon, stand fast against the passions of this world. So that was the the revelation Jesus gave to his church, speaking to his church. And then to the individuals sitting in the church, the personal applications. When he speaks to the church and he's saying to them, 
It's not just about doing things right. It's about love and devotion. What is he saying to me as part of this church? Be careful that you don't get so busy with the things of God that you actually forget about God himself. And that is called religion. It happens so quickly. Sunday, I'm here. I'm worshiping. Hallelujah. And then during the week, I forget about this hallelujah. And then Sunday, I come back just to make right. That's the, that's the religion we're talking about. And Smyrna, the personal application, the call to endure the persecution. We need to understand as believers that our war is not against flesh and blood. It's not against flesh and blood. And so whatever shows itself, permutates itself in the flesh, we need to understand that there's something behind it. And that's why Jesus says, our war is not against flesh and blood. The picture of the disciples in the boat when Jesus said to them, get in the boat, we are going across to the other side. Jesus fell asleep and there's the storm. Maybe you know the story. Firstly, they thought they can maneuver this because some of them were fishermen. They know the waters. But when the waves, listen to this, start crashing into the boat, it says, and they became fearful. And they woke Jesus. What does he do? Got up and he rebuked the wind. Not the waves. Not what he sees here. But that, that causes the waves. And then last week, personal application from Pergamon. Stand, um, the spiritual compromise. You stand with one foot in church, doing things right, and one foot in the world. You see this carnal Christian going backwards and forwards. And so tonight we're going to continue with the fourth church, Tyatira. You can open your Bibles with me in Revelations 2. Tyatira is known, you need to, to listen to this, is known as the tolerant church, the church that tolerated. And we're going to look at that. So as you page there, let me maybe just give you some context into this church. Unlike Pergamon, Smyrna, and Ephesus, which were big, mighty, rich, well-known cities, Thyatira wasn't like that. It was the smallest of all the cities that we read about. We actually don't know a lot about the city. But what we do know, it was a, a hard-working, blue-collar, almost factory type of town. It was about labor. It was about producing stuff. And so being the smallest, the least known, it's funny to realize and to see that their letter is the longest. And so we will see tonight why. And so in this moment, Jesus is coming to them in this letter, and he's speaking to them. He's addressing this tolerant church. And remember what I said, prophetic foresight, also speaking to us. So as I, I will unpack just what Bible, the Bible says about Tyatira, I want you to keep on thinking, but what is he saying to us as a church? And what is he saying to me as one of the living stones of this church? And so let's read Revelations 2 verse 18. It says the following. And to the angel of the church in Thyatira write the words of the Son of God, who has eyes like a flame of fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze. I know your works, your love and faith, and service and patient endurance, and that your latter works exceeds the first. But I have this against you, that you, you need to 
underline, highlight, whatever you do in your phone or iPad, Bible. I have this against you, that you tolerate that woman, Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess and is teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality and to eat food sacrificed to idols. I gave her time to repent, but she refuses to repent of her sexual immorality. Behold, I will throw her unto a sickbed, and those who commit adultery with her, I will throw them in great tribulation, unless, unless they repent of her works. And I will strike her children dead, and all the churches will know that I am he who searches mind and heart. And I will give to each of you according to your works. But to the rest of you in Tyre, who do not hold this teaching, who have not learned what some call the deep things of Satan. This is what is busy happening in this church. To you I say, I do not lay on you any other burden. Only hold fast what you have until I come. The one who conquers and the one who keeps my works until the end, to him I will give authority over the nations. And he will rule them with a rod of iron, as when earthen pots are broken in pieces, even as I myself have received authority from my Father. And I will give them the morning star. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. And so this letter is not just to the church. What we need to understand, the letters that John wrote, the revelation, was carried to all seven churches. So at every church, they read all the letters, like we are doing. And so this word is not just for that church. It is for the churches to come. Let's pray. Father, thank you that we can study your word. And Jesus, as you have revealed yourself to John, I pray, Holy Spirit, that in this moment you will reveal the Father's heart to us. I pray that in the name of Jesus. Amen. And so when you study these letters, you need to firstly note that there's a structure to all these letters. They all have seven elements uh, that is exactly the same, follows the same structure, except the last two, numbers six and seven on the slide. You will see in this letter, let them who has ears listen in the, let, the letters prior to this one was second last mentioned in the letter. From this one onwards, it's last. And so throughout this letters, when we read it, we need to see the structure. And so Jesus begins, obviously, because that's the structure, by just introducing himself to the church. And to the angel of the church in Tyre or right, the words of the Son of God, the words of the Son of God, who has eyes like a flame of fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze. And so like in the other letters, obviously Jesus comes and he presents himself. But there's a difference. Here he does it in two ways. He says, he introduces himself, I am the Son of God, but he also uses a symbol. And so firstly, I am the Son of God. It's the only time you will read those words in the whole book of Revelation. And so in this moment, he comes into this church, he steps into this church and he declares that he is the one, the only, the true Son of God. And so one would think, why would Jesus do that? This is a church that is busy worshiping him, that is praying to him. And so when you, or if you, 
would have visited this city, Tyre, in the first century. And you would walk around and ask people, who do you think? David is the son of God. It's David, eh? I almost called you Daniel again. Ruan, who would you think is the son of God? So we're walking in the city and we're asking, who's the son of God? Most of the people would have answered Apollo and not Jesus. And potentially some of the people in the church might have even given you that answer, Apollo. And so Apollo was the son of Zeus. Zeus, a pagan god, was known as the god of gods. You know, all the animations, you know, the one with this lightning rod that strikes you from above, Zeus. Even the money, the coins that they used had on the one side a face, Apollo's face, on the other side the engraving saying, son of God. And so in this confusion, Jesus steps in and he says, I am the son of God. If you are confused, I am the only, the one, the true son of God. Who's Jesus to you tonight? If I had to walk up to you, not knowing me, and I had to say to you, please, can you tell me who's, who's Jesus? Is he really in your life, the Lord of Lords, the Son of God? Who is he to you? And so he continues, and he gives a symbol. Who has eyes like a flame of fire, and his feet are like burnished bronze. So on the one side, Jesus speaks into the confusion of this church, city. The other side, he speaks into the circumstances, the culture that we find in the city. So there was a lot of trade guilds in the city. Obviously, it was a hard-working, blue-collar town. Now, a trade guild in those days were mighty, powerful institutions. So let me try and explain to you what is a trade guild. Anybody here knows a labor union? All right? Just much more powerful, more corrupt. More corrupt. And so for you to be able to trade in your products or your goods, you had to belong to one of these trade unions. Otherwise, you were not allowed to trade. You were not allowed to get income for yourself. And so just think of this as a believer. You have to join this trade union. It doesn't sound bad. But let me explain a bit further. Part of what they believed in, every one of these guilds had a pagan god that they worshipped. And so if you were a member of this guild, you had to attend their meetings. And so at these meetings, they would worship and sacrifice to these pagan gods. And they would indulge in sexual immorality acts as part of these meetings. And so Jesus speaks right into this culture. He clears up the confusion, but he speaks into this culture, a culture that is known for working with fire to shape iron, the burnished bronze. And he comes and he says, I am Lord of Lords. I am the one that provides. And so Jesus continues in his letter and he commends them. Verse 19, I know your works. I know your works. I know your works. Your love and faith and service and patient endurance and that your latter works exceeds your first. What an amazing phrase. To know that the king of kings stops and he affirms you. We see in the story of Stephen being stoned in um, Acts 8. There's a moment that he looks up to the heavens and he sees heaven open. Go and read it. And the son of God, Jesus, 
is standing on the right hand of the Father. It's not sitting. And so in that moment, when his, his servant is being persecuted, being stoned, he stands up and he affirms him. And so Jesus comes to this church and he stops and he affirms them. I know your works. I know your love. It's an important word. I know your love. I know your service, your faith, your endurance. I see that it's, there's growth. Your latter works exceeds your first. And so the growth might be in numbers. It might be in ministries that are added. We don't know. And so if you were to be standing here on the outside reading this, you would think, wow, what a healthy church. I mean, just every week there's just growth, more people, more ministries added. And see, that's the trap that we all sometimes fall to. We think that growth equals health. If I'm growing, I'm healthy. But not all things that grow are healthy. Not all things that grow are healthy. A tumor grows. Definitely doesn't represent health. In our nation currently, there's a lot of things that are busy growing that are not healthy, that can destroy this nation. Xenophobia being one of them. It can destroy a nation. And so Jesus pauses, he commends them, but then he points right at their heart and the issue. And so we see the concern that he has with this church in verse 20. Listen to this. But I have this against you, that you tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess and is teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality. This is not happening at the guilt. This is happening amongst them. It's in church. Self-proclaimed prophetess. And to eat food sacrificed to idols. Church, you need to hear. Tyatira, you need to hear this. Willows, PM, you need to hear this. I have this against you, that you tolerate this lady Jezebel. And so in this moment, we need to understand, what, maybe just quickly, Jezebel wasn't a real name. Nobody would give their daughter the name Jezebel after the first Jezebel. So Jesus is using a symbolic, he's pointing back to the Old Testament. He's using a character of the Old Testament. So if you may be praying for a daughter's name, Jezebel is not the name, and I'll explain to you now why. Okay, if you're one of those that page through the Bible, my parents were one of those. I got all the names, and then they stopped. I have three names. Okay. Jesus is pointing to Jezebel, and he says, I have this against you, that you tolerate this Jezebel spirit in your midst. And so who's Jezebel? She was the daughter of Bethel. He was a, he was a king of Sidon. He was a pagan king that worshipped Baal. And so this daughter was born into his house. She was raised in this environment. And so we see how King Ahab, go and study this, 1 Kings 16 to chapter 16 to chapter 21, you will read their story. So King Ahab, the anointed, the chosen king of God, who is put in place by God to lead his nation, this king, the church, the chosen the anointed, the bride of Jesus Christ. Sounds similar? This king marries Jezebel. And the reason for this is he wanted to put in place a trade agreement between Phoenicia and Israel. And so in this moment, 
this guy marries a pagan woman, a queen, for business arrangements. He is willing to tolerate sin for personal gain. He is willing to tolerate sin for personal gain. And so we see how this lady steps into this nation and she starts Baal worship, idol worship in Israel. She goes further and kills almost all because we read there was another guy that took a hundred of God's prophets and he hid them away, 50 in a cave and 50 in a cave. The rest she all killed. Part of what they did when they got together is obviously there was sexual immorality. She, you know, she taught them to sleep around part of the worship. And so the babies that was born from these sexual acts were sacrificed to the gods. And so together in 1 Kings 33, it says the following. And Ahab, the chosen, the one that was put in place, the anointed, together with Jezebel, ushered into history, into the Old Testament, the worst time ever for Israel. And it started off with a man tolerating sin. Tolerating sin. And so if you had to read a CV about this lady, it says the following in 1 Kings 21, verse 25. There was none who sold himself to do what was evil in the sight of the Lord, like Ahab, whom Jezebel, his wife, incited. What a warning. So Jesus, just in this letter, he's saying to this church, I know your love. You are so worried about loving everybody and embracing everybody that you are tolerating even sin in your midst because you just want to be inclusive. And so in this moment, Jesus is revealing something about himself to this church. What he expects of us as a church. I am God. I am holy. And I do not tolerate sin. There is no way, church, that we can think, I can just carry on living a life of sin. Being disobedient. Willfully being disobedient. And think that God sits on the throne in heaven and he smiles down on me. No, definitely not. He is a holy God and he doesn't tolerate sin. And so this one side, we have this church that wants to love, that wants to care, but we see how they become so fixated about even maybe being loved back being inclusive, being included. That's the one side. On the other side, we see God holy, not tolerating sin. These two definitely opposite areas. And like Tyatira, I believe us as a church, not just us here, but church worldwide, we find ourselves in exactly the same place today where Tolerance is preached to us. We need to tolerate. There is no such thing as absolute truth. Truth is relative. What does that mean? Well, whatever you believe, Ruan, is true. And whatever Jock believes, that's true. And whether that differs or not is irrelevant. 
So what you think about your sexuality and what I think about that doesn't really matter. Even laws are busy changing because truth has become relative. And if we are intolerant as a church, we are not tolerated. That is what we're seeing happening in this church. And it's happening today. It is happening today. Religion in schools has become a relative thing. There's no more absolute truth. And so, this church, honestly, I believe, wanted to love, but they missed the mark. And so, what do we need to learn from this? The following, that there's a difference between acceptance and agreement. There's a difference between accepting someone and agreeing with someone. The church of Jesus Christ is a place where the doors need to be wide open for anybody, accepting anybody to come in. And if this church, you feel like, mm, maybe that's not true, then speak to leadership. Because this church is led by Jesus Christ. And in His church, those doors need to be open to anybody. But as a church, we should not agree with every lifestyle and every belief system that is against the Word of God. We see a loving Savior that accepts unconditionally, loves. He stepped out of heaven. He became man. He walked on this earth. He lived the life that you and I should have lived. Why? So that you and I can have the opportunity to meet a Savior. And it's from that acceptance, from accepting His truth, that we receive grace. It's from accepting His truth that we receive grace. And as a church, we need to be a place where there is grace and truth, where there is love and truth. We see the story in John 8, story of the, the lady that is caught in adultery. And so it says, and she was caught in the act of adultery. So obviously, she was busy cheating on her husband. And they took her from there, and they brought her to Jesus. And they put her in the middle, and they said, we have just caught this lady cheating, sleeping with another man, cheating on her husband. What are you going to do? Because the law of Moses says we need to stone her. That's the truth. And so Jesus bends down, he starts writing in the sand, we don't know what he wrote, and he says, well, let the man that is without sin pick up rock and throw it. And so obviously, everybody disappears, and Jesus looks up and he says to the lady, where's your accusers? She says, no, Jesus, they all left. Listen to Jesus' words, neither do I condemn you. Neither do I condemn you. Do you hear the love? Go, and from now on, sin no more. Do you hear the truth? You see, you do not have to be sorted out, your whole life clean, without any, any hint of sin, knowing Jesus sorted out everything to be able to come into church, to be able to come into His presence. No, it's humanly impossible. That's why He came and He made the way. And so tonight what you need to hear about this church is this church is a church where we love, where we embrace, 
where we will and we want to come alongside you. And we want to share truth with you. But we are not going to agree with every lifestyle and every belief system that is against the Word of God. It doesn't say that we don't love. No, we know that we serve a holy God that does not tolerate sin. And so to this church, he's saying, I have this against you, to Tyra. You have tolerated this lady, Jezebel. And I believe that is the personal application from this letter to us tonight. What sin are you busy tolerating in your life? What sin are you busy tolerating in your life? You know, I've just moved. We've moved in together. We're not married yet. We are going to get married. Um, so we're just going to tolerate this. What sin are you busy tolerating in your life? Sexual immorality, cheating, lying. What sin are you busy tolerating in your life? Because here's the thing that you need to understand. Whatever you tolerate, church, whatever you tolerate will overtake you. It will overpower you. It will break you. It will destroy you. And so we see how Ahab marries Jezebel for personal gain. And he tolerates sin. And that sin destroyed him. God wiped him out. What sin are you busy tolerating? So in this letter, we see just how this letter unveils Satan's strategy to destroy this church of Tyre. The strategy Satan uses to destroy this church, I believe, is the same strategy he's busy using to destroy the church in 2022. To get the church to tolerate sin. To get the church to be more worried about being inclusive than they are about the truth of God. Because whatever we tolerate will destroy us. And that's the strategy he's busy using. Jesus exhorts this church, verse 21, I gave her time to repent, but she refuses to repent of her sexual immorality. Jesus is giving you time tonight to repent. In 1 John 1 verse 9 it says, And if you confess your sins to me, I am faithful and just, and I will forgive you. I will remove your sin as far as the east is from the west. What sin are you busy tolerating? It is not Good. It is sin to spend time alone, man and lady, not married, in the same flat, sleeping in the same flat where there's one bed. Even if there's two rooms with two beds, man is not a rock. I'm a man. <laughs> and so in this moment, Jesus is saying to I gave her time to repent. Do you hear the love? He's giving you the love tonight. He's giving you that love tonight. Behold, I gave her time to repent, but she refuses to repent of her sexual immorality. Behold, I will throw her unto a sickbed. And those who commit adultery with her, I will throw into great tribulation unless they repent of her works. And I will strike her children dead. And all the churches will know that I am he 
who searches mind and heart. And I will give to each of you according to your works. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying. David, you can come up. I want you to close your eyes. I'm just going to allow you time. Would you just allow the Spirit just to speak to you now? Holy Spirit, I pray that as we quiet down before you, you are the one that leads us into all truth. You are the one that convicts us of sin. So Holy Spirit, in this moment, I pray, would you just reveal to each one sitting here what it is that you want them to repent of. And, our Father, that you truly love us, but that your love is never separated from the truth. And Lord, as we are just all thinking through what we tolerate, Lord, I really just pray that, that as Christians, we will never get beyond repentance. Lord, I'm just reminded that when you taught us to pray, Father, you said, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Lord, asking for your forgiveness is a daily thing. Lord, I, I pray that we will not tolerate what, what's not from you, Lord. Lord, I pray that your kingdom will truly come where we go. Lord, I, I pray that our love and our truth will both penetrate hearts wherever we go. Lord, I pray that when we preach the gospel, we will not pre just preach the cross, but we will preach the resurrection. Lord, we will preach the whole truth. As Paul said, I am, no one's blood is on my hands because I've preached to you the whole truth of God. Lord, thank you that you will never leave us in our sin thank you that you'll never leave us in our lukewarmness but you will always challenge us and encourage us and exhort us to become more like you because Lord we know that holiness is freedom Lord I pray for this church that that tonight will not just end here but tomorrow Tuesday up until next week Sunday will be a a time with you will be with you Lord and, and Lord wherever we all need to make changes Father I pray that we will make those changes and I pray that next week Sunday when we come here that those changes are not a change we need to make again but it, it's a change that has happened because of true repentance that bears fruit Lord we love you we honor you we thank you so so much just for loving us so much that we can love this world. May your name be glorified, Father, through the way we live. In Jesus' name.